ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Y'all know what that means. It's the Dome Patrol with my brother, Ross Jackson. So let's just get right into it. Ross, how you doing today? And welcome back. Hey, appreciate you, man. I'm doing very well. Uh, a little tired, but you know what? Can't complain about being busy. Uh, fiance's birthday tomorrow. So, you know, looking forward to, to all that. It's, it's nothing but celebration in the household uh, these days, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, things are going, you know, some things are popping. Um, right. Also, I'll be uh, starting April 1st. Um, I'm going to be working with Rob Parker on his Let's new MLB site um, covering yeah. uh, black ball, American born black ball players, And, and we do it covering the culture of the game, the history of the game, all those things. And uh, that launches April 1st. And, and I'm part of that that core group to start. And so it's an honor that he sought me out and um, asked me to be a part of the team. Uh, so, so dope. you know, yeah, just another opportunity to cover something that I love, you know, you, over my shoulder, yep. you, see, you know, I love, I love baseball. It's, it's, it's something that I always grew up with. My dad is a huge baseball fan and he, he put that in my blood. And so it's just another way to talk about something I love and to, and, and to write more too, which yeah, I have to yeah. get back in the habit of doing um, more. It's just been, it's just so hard when, you know, when you're juggling <laughs> all these things to consistently get in front of the, the computer and, and just type and, and do that. Yeah, it's hard to focus down on just one thing for, you know, I mean, and the amount of work that you put into your stuff, the amount of work that I put into my stuff, like it's hard to sit down for an hour, sometimes two hours, three to really nail down a piece. Look, um, I'm not the biggest baseball fan. But I love black baseball players, so I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there supporting from April 1, man. That's dope. Congratulations. Yeah, it'll be, you know, it's going to be a more, I think it's going to be a really entertaining spin on this stuff. We're not doing game coverage. You know, we're Great. doing stories about players and about the That's history dope. of the game. So we want to inspire that next generation of, of fans because – you know, this this was baseball at one time was the black game. It was, you know, it was the one right. that we gravitated yes. to more because it was the first one to give us the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the dwindling number of black baseball players is starting to see an uptick, and you're starting right. to see more teams. I mean, like University of Michigan made it to the College World Series, yeah. and the majority of their players in their starting lineup are black. Yep, and I hadn't seen that in a college baseball team in so long. No, and they didn't expect it to happen in Michigan of all places Ooh. either. And, and I mean, Michigan had a couple of notable black ball players over here. Barry Larkin, sure. right? Um, you know, is the, the the biggest probably. Um, but yeah, eight. You like that eight right. on the roster? <laughs> Man, so I love that being a part of that. But that's so dope. Folks, tune in to hear about the Saints. First big <laughs> announcement that came out today: the league did announce the salary cap for this season, um, a little lower than some projections but it's kind of like they split the baby in half here um, right where we thought it might be at 180 and 185 um yep. what, what's your first impression when you saw that number yeah i mean I, I you know the first thing i'll do is i look at it from the saints perspective of course and for the saints that's good news regardless whether it's you know 185 185 or 182.5 
182.5 is still seven and a half million dollars above what the original projection was going to be in terms of the floor at 175. They're also going to carry over about 2.99, so let's just say three million dollars from last season. So it still gives them about 11 million dollars, ten and a half million dollars above what the expected floor was going to be. So it's good news because that 10 million dollars goes a long, long way in New Orleans with the way that they structure their contracts and workout extension. So let's talk about those extensions. We've mm-hmm. had a number of them over the last week. Um, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, what mm-hmm. does? It's not that's not a surprise. He's on the back mm-hmm. half of his the back quarter of his career, um, right. pushing that money down. Doesn't really uh, is not really a problem. His contract is not incredibly long, um, right. so I, I don't think he was a, a surprise there. Um, there's no impact there. He's going to be around. It just it's a team friendly, a team friendlier um, deal for him. But overall, it doesn't change his status with the team. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It only pushed around about three point four million dollars, I believe that it is. I'm trying to see if I can find. Or three. Yeah. Three point four one six million dollars. That get, ends up getting pushed over two years. So about what one point seven million dollars per year that gets pushed into two years that are already on his contract. He still has an out after this year, as we know around the NFL. Most four-year contracts are actually two-year contracts in structure. So nothing really changes in terms of the way that it all essentially pans out basically starting next season. Uh, I'm sure that they would like to keep him around in 2022 because he'll have a higher cap hit. But when you look at the guarantees and things like that around his deal, he's pretty good at this point thanks to having an $8 million or excuse me, a $9 million signing bonus on top of the what will be another $2 million off of this. So the dead cap isn't a terrible hit moving forward or anything. And so this makes a lot of sense for them to be able to do that, especially if they expect him to play in 2022 as well. It puts them in good position and it doesn't cost them a lot of money, but it saves $3.4 million uh, for this season. The Cam Jordan restructuring is a little mm-hmm. bit more interesting to me. Yeah. Because of Cam's age, right. because of his production, because of the hit that the Saints still would take if they had to release him this next year or the year after. Um, even if Cam has a resurgence, it's just hard for a defensive lineman, it's particularly a pass rushing defensive end, to mm-hmm. see a resurgence po- post their 30-year-old season. Yeah. Um, Cam is, I mean, the Saints are pretty much stuck with Cam for the next three years. Yeah, they've they've basically doubled down on him, right? They've doubled down with Cam and said, all right, you're finishing your career as a New Orleans Saint, basically, which is what Cam Cam Jordan wanted. It's clearly what the Saints are okay with doing and clearly something that they want as well. Because even if Cam isn't performing at his best as a pass rusher, him over on the strong side as a defensive end and the run game is still extremely valuable to them. And I think that that is something that this team very much values is not only the sack numbers, not only the pressure numbers, those things, which you know you can get from Cam Jordan, but you also understand are probably going to have a bit of a decline going in. So I think that what will be interesting to see is the rest is to watch the rest of the offseason to see what they continue to do along the defensive line, because there may be times to where, you know, they potentially start to build the edge rusher position over on the opposite side from him. If Marcus Davenport isn't the guy, then who, you know, who is and where do they look to? 
to try to fill that void? How does you know how does some of the young talent on the team step up? Is there a role for Carl Granderson that's greater this year than there was the last two years of his career? Things like that. But I think you're comfortable with what you have with Cam Jordan, regardless of the potential pass rush decline, as long as you're also getting the you know effectiveness in other parts of the game. Now he had the abductor surgery over the adductor surgery over the course of last offseason, which clearly affected him at the beginning of the 2021 season. If he's fully healed up in 2021, then it probably gives him a little bit of a better chance to be able to jump off the books a little bit quicker than he was able to in 2020. Andrews Pete, mm-hmm. also a restructure. Um, I don't think that takes him out of trade conversations. Um, I think it actually makes it easier for the Saints to move mm-hmm. him um, if they decide to go in on a, one of these blockbuster deals for a quarterback, and we'll get to that later. But I think, you know, uh, the Pete deal seems favorable for the Saints uh, in this occasion. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm just looking at some of the numbers real quick. His dead cap, as is, ends up being around. 19 million dollars but that adjusts based upon a couple of different things right if you designate him as post june one some of that comes off if you trade him some of that comes off as well and you end up having a little bit of a a larger savings there and so you could see the saints really continue to make some of those moves if they decided to Uh, trading him might be a little bit tough it would kind of depend upon you would kind of have to trade him and something else some other player right and that's that's why you mentioned like the blockbuster deal anyway yeah. yeah exactly and so you free up certain space by trading other pieces. Like if you moves him and say Taysom Hill, for instance, and then you clear up that massive amount of salary that's sitting on Taysom Hill's shoulders at this moment, which again, if Jameis Winston gets signed, Taysom won't play on that salary cap. Like they'll reduce it. They'll extend him or they'll ask him for a pay cut or they'll just restructure him and then kick it into further years when the TV deals swell up. So it, it makes a lot of sense for the Saints to do this, to open up space this year, but it doesn't take away options based upon what a larger trade would have to look like anyway, to where they would create that space that they would have just sort of eaten up a bit with Andrus Pete. But again, you know, his contract was structured in such a way that it was basically a three-year contract as opposed to the five-year contract that you read. This also helps to maintain that. And, you know, part of the reason why they build these contracts with they do is because they know what it's going to look like if they restructure that player before they agree to that contract structure. Like that is all taken into consideration beforehand. And for Demario Davis, again, another guy uh, with the restructure, he's not going anywhere. The Saints right. are not going to, to to let him get away. So, um, again, a deal that helps him in the short term, puts cash in his hand, and then it just ensures that he's going to be the Saint most likely for the rest of his um, prime. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely I, – I, I, there is not a single negative to what they've chosen to do with Demario Davis's contract, right? Demario just got a big payday up front. The Saints spread that cap hit out over the course of the time that they were likely going to keep him anyway. They had agreed to that three-year extension before the 2020 season, or it was before the week two game of the 2020 season. It was announced Mm -hmm. during that Raiders game. Uh, And so, you know, this one makes a ton of sense and not really much negative or anything negative to really say about this, because even if, you know, something were to happen and DeMario wasn't able to play out his contract or anything like that, that that is something that could have happened regardless of restructure. And also, you can't really even take that into consideration. This is sort of a, a no brains move more than anything or no brainer move more than anything else. Um, Saints re-sign Ty Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw, you know, of course I saw you were excited about that, but I was excited about that too. Um, 
because it does, it's a big help to the Saints, particularly when you look at the the cap situation for Latavius Murray. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like it's less and less likely that Latavius comes back because of what else is going on. So how big is the Montgomery signing? Um, and then how much does this impact Latavius Murray's future? Yeah, so I, I, I think that this is a good move for the Saints. You saw Latavius Murray not really play more than about four percent or ten percent of snaps but a couple of times throughout the season only really appeared four times throughout the season before that week 10 game uh excuse me that week 17 game to where he came in for the entire saints running back room uh who of course was out for that matchup and uh you know ran for 105 yards on 80 on 18 carries averaged almost six yards per carry during that game including a big 34 yard run that was beautifully executed by the saints and look i i think that he is a piece that serves multiple purposes like yeah I think that his signing his staying in New Orleans certainly makes it easier for the Saints to move on from Latavius Murray if they feel they need to at his price tag they could save about 2.5 million dollars from cutting him 3.3 million dollars if they designate him as a post-June 1 cut but another name that I would watch out for in all of this too is Emmanuel Sanders because Ty Montgomery affects both of those positions at wide receiver and running back right he played wide receiver for the Saints up until they needed him to jump into the backfield in week 17 and Emmanuel Sanders has been rumored as a potential trade piece. He's been some he oh he's sitting on I think it's four million dollars if they cut him right now, six million dollars if they were to find a trade partner for him. So it's not going to come down to like I would hate to see Emmanuel Sanders go, just like I would hate to see Latavius Murray go. But right now the Saints aren't in position to have luxury, right? right? They're in position to make decisions, and sometimes those decisions, much like we saw with Nick Easton, uh, some of those things just certainly come down to is your production next year going to match what you're taking home and what we're paying for you as opposed to you know trying to gauge that off of last year's production Manuel Sanders was the top receiver last year with over 700 receiving yards but also did that in a season where Michael Thomas wasn't widely unavailable and a lot of targets were you know were and you lose Drew Brees for you know a month and and those things impacted his numbers certainly. Right. Um, yeah, because I, I I had people you know I listen to people and they talk about oh I wasn't impressed with Emmanuel Sanders last year and I'm like, did you see some of the catches that he made? Did you see right. the impact when he was forced? I mean, teams knew he was the only yep. proven receiver on the roster while Mike Thomas was out. So it made no sense to me for people to talk about his numbers being down. Oh, with Jimmy Garoppolo he was doing this and this and this. Well, it was a completely that's a completely different offense. And that's an yeah. offense that that uses the running games to set up the pass so much. And you also have a George Kittle on that team who made everything easier as well. Not not to say the Manuel Sanders, you know, but there's nothing in a vacuum. If you look at right. his numbers in a vacuum, you say it's a down year. But when you take him in context, I thought he was very solid last season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you have to look at it that way. This is a very big deal for for the Saints or a big decision for the Saints because he was very good last season and, and, you know, obviously was in a situation to where he was, um, you know, kind of on his I don't want to say on his own because there are very there are also very talented young receivers behind him but a lot of them were dealing with injuries too Marquez Calloway missing time Deontay Harris missing time Traquan Smith missing time so you saw all of that sort of shuffle go on around the wide receiver position and, and because of that you got to really evaluate the talent at the position right you got to evaluate pretty much the entire depth chart uh, getting to you know signing uh, Jake Kumaro at one point and putting him out on the field and then now you have you know this decision to make 
make with Emmanuel Sanders uh, that could be a, a more of a monetary decision than last year's performance decision. I think if you were to sit there and talk about um, his, you know, ask questions about why Emmanuel Sanders got cut, if he does get cut, it's not going to be about his performance. It's just going to be about the expected return on investment looking and projecting ahead. Yeah. And people have to remember when we talk about opportunity costs, what does signing player A, what do you lose? Because you're giving up something no matter who you sign. That means you're not signing somebody else or you have Mm -hmm. less money to sign um, in, in positions of need. And and that's what the saints are always balancing. And that's what every yeah. team is always balancing. You can't invest too much in any one area so that it costs you depth, which the saints need and any team needs. And this is also a team, if they do let go of Emmanuel Sanders, um, we know that Sean Payton has always been confident in his ability to find another receiver, um, to develop another option. Uh, so I think the saints yep. are never in a position where they feel desperate to have no. someone um, opposite Michael Thomas. Yeah, the, one of the things that Sean Payton does better than better than most coaches around the NFL is scheming receivers. Like al- along with developing receivers, scheming receivers is something he has done very well. And what we've seen in terms of the influx of the young rookie receivers coming in, you know, the young receivers coming into the NFL over the last three seasons has been wild (laughs) it's more ready than ever yeah yeah i i would say more than any position right now they're coming in ready rounds one through seven you know and and it's an incredible thing to watch and so you know you could see the saints maybe invest in youth there you could see the saints go to the free agency market there too there's there's so many options yeah um the marcus williams franchise tag we know the saints don't like to use the franchise tag Mm -hmm. but in this instance again i feel and I'm sure you probably agree, is that this is just buying the Saints time while they take care of the rest of the cap and manage these other things so that they can deal with Marcus um, and make sure that they get the right deal done. Because the cap, yeah. this number is not obscene. Mm-mm. His whole this his his franchise tag is not obscene in any way. So I feel like the Saints are not using it as something to imprison him, which a right. lot of players resent the franchise tag. Mm-hmm. I imagine that they've had this conversation with him before they did it, and that this is part of hang on, we're going to take care of you. We plan to at least. We'll see if that number works because he's got the decision mm-hmm. to make. But they have the tag to hold him, but at the same time, I don't think the Saints want to are not the type of franchise that want to do this with players because of the relationships that Sean Payton cultivates. Yes, yeah. Remember the last time the Saints used a franchise tag that did not go over well? Uh, Jimmy Graham led to litigation. You'll see that there's absolutely no uh, no confusion about what position Marcus Williams plays. <laughs> He's a damn safety. He gets the tag at safety. There will be no litigation here. But I think you're right. This this version of utilizing the franchise tag feels a little bit more about dedi- it, it showing that player that this is that he is their priority. Because they had two players they could have done this with, and both of which would have been reasonable prices to do it and hold on to for just a little while longer. Because I I think that their intent is very likely to work on this contract through and try to get it done before the 17th. Try to get it done in the next week. 
That way they get salary cap, like getting that extension done helps cut down their cap space. And so you look at that as well as a move that was just made with the New Orleans Saints that we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that we touch on here in a little bit, but they just released, uh, news just broke that they released Quan Alexander, which is a big time cap saving. So you look at some of these more wider swathing moves that are happening, that would be included in sort of that same conversation, this this uh, upcoming Marcus Williams extension, in the same conversation as the Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchick extension to where you've just bought yourself time to where even if you go into March 15th, March 16th with this, that there's no tampering. There's no other teams that are able to talk to them. If you have to go into 2000, if you have to go into the 2021 league year past March 17th, same thing. You have until July to get this done. I think they'll try to get it done before the 17th, before they have to be cap compliant, because that move along with those fifth year option restructures or excuse me, extensions are going to be part of their cap saving measures while also continuing to build competition, their competitive nature for the future. All of that sort of all comes together with this move. Let's talk about Quan Alexander. It's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a surprise that he got cut, um, but I also would, would imagine that um, he's going to keep the Saints at the top of his Rolodex um, because while he recovers and 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 what his impact was on the team, both in his personality and his play on a team that's thin at the linebacker spot in proven players. Uh, and doesn't utilize a ton of linebackers uh, in its primary defensive sets. Mm-hmm. Quan is somebody that you could bring back at week four or week six while he's getting healthy and and, and have an impact again like he did. You're never going to bet on him to play 16. You're not going right. to do that. But if he can give you – be a guy who can be a, you know, a first, second down linebacker and you get him off the field, well, I think he still has value for this team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this one is kind of a, a interesting one. I think that at this point, or at the point to where they traded, um, the, at the point to where they traded for him, the intent was to add him for the twenty twenty year and then cut him after. Yep. It, it always felt like it was a rental because. $13 million cap hits moving forward, 13 plus million dollar cap hits moving forward for a linebacker, especially for the Saints, who would have been a two down linebacker. He wasn't on the field for base packages, which they didn't play a ton, but he was there for, you know, he was a three down linebacker there when they played nickel. But anytime they shifted into dime on third down, he came off the field. Anytime that they were in base and run situations, he came off the field. So you're not going to pay $13 million for that type of a rotation, right? If he's going to be your coverage linebacker, he's going to be- play maybe, maybe if you're lucky, nine, 10 games. Right. Exactly. So there's, there's a ton of different stuff that you can take a look at for, uh, you know, the reasons why, or the, or, or the ways in which Quan Alexander helped to sort of boost the, the Saints defense. I, I wrote about it. His, his, ability guarding the flats, run back, running backs out of the flats, uh, his ability taking away the middle of the field. All of that was huge uh, for the New Orleans Saints, particularly on third down. He certainly helped in that area. Uh, not a lot of benefit from him that the Saints saw in the red zone. There was just no fixing red zone defense for New Orleans last year. Uh, but there is so, so, so much going on with all of this. And so when you look at them moving on from Quan Alexander, that's a huge, huge savings for the Saints. $13 million in savings moving on from he had an injury guarantee that would have kicked in in April had he been able had he stayed on the roster up to that point then he would have been somebody that you know would have been owed a little bit of extra money you could have used that to sort of build the salary moving forward but 
either way, at this point with him being injured or coming off of injury, this could easily, honestly, also be a sign, or a cut and re-sign at another point. As you mentioned, he's expected to be back for camp. And when he's healthy, he's great. I mean, he's a very, very good linebacker, and he certainly had a great relationship with Demario Davis. He loved being on the field with the New Orleans Saints in particular. He was such a great person to speak to in terms of media and everything as well. He was just one of those. He's just one of those guys that is just all around a good guy, and that you love to see out there having fun. And it was an unfortunate situation that he ended up getting hurt, particularly when he got hurt too, because I believe it was in the Kansas City Chiefs game, if I remember correctly. And so it's just you know, it was unfortunate to see all of that come down, but. You know, the the story might not be over between Quan Alexander and the New Orleans Saints. I wasn't sure how his injury was going to affect their ability to release him, but it looks like since he's going to be ready to be back for camp, then it doesn't matter. They're able to move on from him and they're able to clear up this space and avoid that guarantee that injury guarantee that would have kicked in next month, too. So it, it's it's a good move, but the story might not be over between the two. With a week to go before the start of the, the league year, um, Who's, who do you think is next for a restructure or um, a likely cut to get to continue to get closer to uh, under the cap? Yeah, I, I would certainly continue to keep my eye on. I, if I remember correctly, Michael Thomas and Toronto Armstead haven't been restructured yet, if I remember correctly. And it, those those are big ones because those are potentially six to eight million dollars in savings between those two. Uh, or, or, you know, the two of them combined or not combined, but the two of them individually. Um, we've talked about Emmanuel Sanders and Latavius Murray. I would keep an eye out on uh, Malcolm Brown as well. He's somebody that has been involved in trade talks and you know, or at least shopped around to see if there's any interest in trades. The Saints, again, develop defensive lines so well, particularly on the interior. They've kept Ryan Nielsen there, promoted him up to assistant head coach as well as his defensive line coach responsibilities. They should feel pretty good about what they're going to be able to continue to develop on the defensive line. They've already been meeting with young defensive linemen that are coming into the draft, all of that. And there's a really good interior your defensive line class this year of free agents as well. So I would keep an eye out for Malcolm Brown. Um, and then, you know, some of those other names like Janoris Jenkins, like, you know, he's going to carry a pretty big cap hit going into 2021. Is he going to take a pay cut? Are they going to restructure him again? Are they going to release him? That? Are they going to move on from him? Right. There's there's a lot of different things. Moving on from him is tough just based on the fact that, like, you don't have anybody behind him primed and ready to be your starter opposite Marshawn Lattimore. But is the free agent market... I mean, there are some corners who are available on the free agent market um, Mm -hmm. who have experience and who've played fairly well um, that the Saints could dip into. Because, again, Janoris is over 30, uh, Mm -hmm. 32 years old now. um, And and that money is is a is a big hit for a team that is not rebuilding, but is trying to maintain its, its level of competitiveness. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the addition of Chris Richard as the defensive backs coach for the Saints is going to work really well for them in free agency because he has ties to a lot of excellent defensive backs that are going to be on the market. Um, you know, he didn't really overlap with Quentin Dunbar very much, but Quentin Dunbar in Seattle was, you know, he fits the build that the Saints really like. He can play the style of ball the Saints really like. But, you know, he, he didn't really overlap much at all with Chris Richard, but they still have the connection of the Seattle Seahawks. Same thing for Shaquille Griffin, who just got released from Seattle. I believe it was yesterday as well. So there's still a lot of these other corners that the Saints could look at in the market. The the issue with the cornerback market this year in free agency is that a lot of the, the better corners that are going to be out there are going to be coming off of injury. Um, or they're going to be around the same age as Janoris Jenkins in the first place. And so, you know, you kind of have to weigh 
the return on investment in terms of what you're spending for Janoris Jenkins, what you would have to spend on one of those young corners, younger corners in the in free agency. And also, you know, what the risk is in terms of injury and age compared to what you have with Janoris Jenkins already. Is it better? Is it greater? And then does the does the the savings potentially necessitate making that move because that's a better decision monetarily, even if it's not as good a decision health wise or or a lateral move age wise? One of the funnier things I saw this morning was that, and, and, and you're starting to see this. We see this every year, but you know, I see uh, people. I see people predicting the Saints going like seven and nine, and all these right. things. And honestly, and I mean, just not as a fan or anything else. Just looking at the roster, still, you're still returning a, a top ten defense for the for the most part. You're still returning one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, even if it has one or two guys that that leave mm-hmm. this and you're inserting someone else, you're still going to have three fifths most likely of this great offensive line, maybe, maybe four or five fifths, mm-hmm. depending on what goes on. You still have elite skill position players at the running back and wide receiver positions. You have to be extremely high on, on Troutman as the tight end going into mm-hmm. next year and feeling about him. And then whatever, however the quarterback position uh, falls, it's still Sean Payton guiding that offense. And we've seen him win with lesser quarterbacks right. over the last two years, there's no way, even with natural regression of where the Saints are in 12, 13 win seasons, that I can see them falling below 500. Yeah, I, I don't see it either. I think that this is a team that's going to remain competitive next season. I think maybe having Super Bowl aspirations, like saying that they're going to win the Super Bowl or something like that, might be a little bit too too far as of right now. But to say that they haven't won a Super Bowl the last four years. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you know, predicting them as as what would in that case be a seven and 10 team, assuming that there's a 17th game this season. Like, I don't I think that's even that's just as out, you know, just as too far out. You know, I I think that, you know, there's certainly a reality in which that happens. There's a reality in which that happens with Tampa Bay Buccaneers next season, too. Injuries, things. Yeah. Like, yeah. And 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 you have to be careful, too, because like if there is a major injury and that is the reason that the Saints drop to that seven and ten mark or seven and, you know, whatever it's going to be. Or I guess it'll be yeah seven and ten mark instead of the seven and nine mark. You know, you'll see these people come out the woodwork and say, I told you so without context. Right. And, you know, so about all this. But I think that a lot of it just comes from the fact that, like, there aren't teams out there. There are most teams in the NFL outside of probably the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are starting to do it. The Atlanta Falcons should start to do it now that they have Terry Fontenot. But we'll see. They haven't been very aggressive yet. And then the or I guess they really haven't had the opportunity to be very aggressive yet. And then the New England Patriots outside of maybe those four clubs, mostly most likely three of those clubs. People don't take the risk salary cap wise that the New Orleans Saints do. And, you know, Kevin Washington posted something not too long ago about all of the teams that were under the salary cap before the salary cap adjustment happened. And out of those 20 teams, a handful of them were playoff teams. But you look at the 12 teams that were above above and about i think it was 10 of them 10 or 10 or 9 or 10 of them were all were playoff teams so spending money translates to winning sometimes and that's and that's okay and i think that the saints are more than happy to continue to spend money and the the, the big thing about it is that like spending money in free agency doesn't always uh equate into wins but spending money to retain your core retain your players maintain consistency and maintain co- cohesion definitely does and that's why the saints are in a position that they're in to where they're able to continue to manipulate salary cap and they're able to continue to do this because there are people that 
within the organization, these players understand that they're taken care of, all of that is going to all of that is going to come to fruition. And it's allowed them to continue to maintain these big pieces that you just that you just mentioned at all of these very important positions where they can continue to remain competitive. And at the top of all of it is the head coach that is at worst at the absolute worst with a historically horrific defense is a seven and nine coach. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, I, I, I just love that the annual, the annual prediction and yeah. it's always focused on the saints. It's always, always focused on the saints. No one does this with always. Pittsburgh. No one does this with, with even with the, the Patriots, no one ever predicted their demise. So it's just, it's, it's funny that it focuses on the saints every year. Um, Free agency coming up soon. Um, the areas of need, obviously, at quarterback, we're talking about Jameis mm-hmm. um, primarily. Also, tangentially, with the Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson rumors out there and, and just interest, do you see the Saints now with the field shrinking for Russell Wilson and his options in places that he wanted to go? Do the Saints um, – want to get in the mix of this and, and really start to push their chips to the, to the middle of the table, or are they still like, we're, we're pretty content with what we have. I, th- I honestly think they're pretty content with what they have. Um, you know, I mean, just the, just the idea of having to, especially if they feel like they can get Jameis for a contract as opposed to a contract and picks and players, right. And, and sort of depleting the team in order to add to that quarterback position. And I understand that, you know, you have a perennial all pro quarterback when you're talking about Russell Wilson. And so can that all pro quarterback lead a team despite, you know, what pieces you lose in the trade? Sure. That can happen. Um, And I think you can find one or two examples every season of that happening to where the all pro quarterback carries the team but you know particularly if you have to leverage any defensive pieces we've seen the saints with depleted defenses in an all pro quarterback it it didn't work it didn't work they went through seven and nine three straight seasons with that right now they've been smart right they've they've focused on building the team around the quarterback over the past four seasons and now they have four playoff runs and they're eight and one without that perennial all pro quarterback and that future hall of fame quarterback so I think that I think it's two things, right? I, I think that it's it's how much like what do you feel as the organization you're gonna spend to get Jameis Winston versus what do you feel you're gonna have to spend to pick up one of these other, you know, potential trade, you know, these other quarterbacks in a potential trade, including Russell Wilson. And then beyond that, the other part of it too is that again, Russell Wilson hasn't demanded a trade. He's just said, if I were to get traded, these are the places that I would accept a trade to. At this point, Seattle has no reason to trade him. In fact, right now is the time as as uh, free agency begins to show him, hey, you wanted organizational input. Here's the opportunity. Where do you want us yeah, to go? Write that list of right. players that you're really interested in. And yep. We'll see about it. Yep. And then this is so now this is an opportunity for them. To, now, if they don't prove that in free agency, if they can't prove that in the draft where they don't have a first round pick, then all of a sudden. You're talking about leveraging future future, right? Because after the draft, you can't trade 2021 draft picks. You got to go back to you got to start at 2022. Then maybe the conversation could pick up if things get a little bit too tumultuous in Seattle. But it ha- it's going to have to take Seattle being willing to sell before the Saints can even make a phone call. I just don't like at this stage because of what the Saints have, uh, the, all the players that they've had to get who are in the midst of their 
prime seasons as far as their value, adding a player who's going to take up 20% of your cap. Right. You know, right after you get off of the Drew Brees deal to come in and do that again, it just seems fiscally irresponsible. And that's not the Saints M.O. Right. To, to try to, I mean, we know even if the cap continues to rise, Russell again is a guy who's on the plus 30 side. You'd have to be making a commitment to him for the long term. And it just looks like to me, if you were going to do it, Deshaun would be a much more attractive target because of his age than it, and the length of his contract than going after Russell Wilson. But also, when you look at Jameis and his youth and his cost, and his abilities that we've already seen, you know, over the course of his young career and the things that are fixable, mm-hmm. you know, I, it just feels like if I'm the Saints, I, my priority is still, I can get a good team, um, a team, a happy deal and a deal that makes Jameis happy and you can still keep this thing rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's going to be the intent for this team, right? Because the other part of it too, is that, Jameis spent last year with the team. He knows the system. You don't have to translate anything. Not only wrong, like Russell Wilson would pick up the system, no problem, no time. But it, you still have a little bit more of a known commodity in terms of that. And, and you know, when I speak of Jameis Winston, I, I have to, I have to clarify like my understanding of his, him as an on-field product versus his his off-field history because his off-field history is ugly and it's gross. And so I have to acknowledge that. But you know. It makes more sense for New Orleans to spend money in the free agency market in terms of bringing a piece back, right? Resigning Jameis Winston than it does to leverage all of these other pieces, particularly right now, to make a move for one of these other other quarterbacks, right? Wait for that value to diminish. Wait for things to deteriorate to a point to where the team is looking to trade, as opposed to you having to convince the team to trade, which is sort of feels like what the situation is right now. The other pro- priority positions to me. Um, defensive end because you still want some consistency there, but I don't think they'll play a high price for a defensive mm-hmm. end. Same with safety to add some depth there. Um, and of course at the linebacker spot, now that Quan Alexander is out um, and you look at the rest of that linebacker core and you're not particularly in love with a lot of those guys or they're unproven. And it also feels like Alexander alone, knows he's done um, based yeah. on his comments. He knows he's mm-hmm. out of new Orleans too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that that's a, a big area that they were probably going to focus on this offseason regardless. I, I would even just expand it to the front seven. Right. You mentioned yeah. the defensive line as well as as well as these linebackers. I think those are those are positions where they were going to try to draw some attention to over the course of the offseason through free agency and the draft anyway. Um, now, it seems all the more likely, even if Quan Alexander does come back on a cheaper deal in the linebacking core, you still probably want some insurance there because of his injury history, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and that's assuming that they resign him before the season starts, right? They could wait until his contract becomes non-guaranteed post-week one and then sign him there or sign him, release him, and then bring him back post-week one. That could be another measure that they could go. We'll see what happens with all of that. But, you know, they do have some young linebackers that are cost-effective and that they do like in Caden Ellis and Chase Hansen. Andrew Dowell's out there, too. So, you know, do 
could any could there be a, a situation in which you know they have seen something the New Orleans Saints in practice that we haven't seen because they haven't found the field haven't been on the field and everything and so either you like a player in practice and they see the field or you don't like a player in practice and they don't see the field you don't need to see them on the field before you you know make a decision about whether or not they need to be there so you know maybe that it could be one of those guys that takes a step forward at some point you know you have Zach Bond as well who has to develop whether it's going to be as somebody that contributes on the defensive line or somebody that contributes as an off-ball linebacker in the second level but either way I think that there are so many question marks at both of those groups that the Saints will very likely be active in both of those markets whether it's through free agency or the draft and we see in the draft the projections are starting to change early on Everybody had Mac Jones slotted in mm-hmm. the Saints in the first round. And now it's much more defensive oriented. You're seeing defensive right. players rise on these projections for the Saints. I've, I thought that was going to be the priority from jump that the Saints, if they're going to find, they don't draft quarterbacks high. That's just not what they do. And if you resign Jameis and if you have Taysom in hand, you're not going to invest in a, a very expensive young quarterback. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And and that's the thing like and the other thing, too, is that we haven't seen the Saints really develop a quarterback over no. time and they don't have the time to do that right now. I mean, you're winning. You, you're in winning right, mode. Right. If you're if you were picking top eight right now. Sure. Sure. Right. You draft one of these other guys that you can plug and play immediately. But taking a developmental prospect with your first round pick just doesn't feel like the route that they want to go right now if they end up having a need that they feel like they need to address in the first round which is not which the they don't do usual yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not the same usual mo but it just feels unlikely that any quarterback that's going to be available at the bottom of round one is going to be the best player available at that time it also doesn't feel likely that the saints who are looking to be competitive and who don't want to go in there with needs are going to be trading up for a quarterback because that would be you trading up for a need at that point. So that would be a perfect storm in which, you know, they don't feel comfortable with Taysom Hill taking the reins. Jameis Winston doesn't sign and they couldn't find another option anywhere else. You know, then maybe, yeah, then they do that. But as of right now, it it feels like there are bigger places where they'll be able to pay attention and we'll see exactly how free agency unfolds and how it adjusts that but again even if they sit around and go best player available i don't think it's a quarterback at that point unless somebody takes a massive fall and then you have to ask the question why yeah and i i just just think the saints this will probably be the the things that the players that i think they draft mostly will be top in is going to be defensive players Mm -hmm. Um, unless there's a really outstanding offensive lineman that blows them right. away. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't see skill position. I don't mm-hmm. see your know, quarterback. I don't see um, corner unless it's later in the draft. Um, that would That's where I think corner and safety might be later. But I think that front seven, as we talked about, is the priority in the early, the, the earliest picks that the Saints have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a there's a, a, a want to go for an offensive skill position player there, whether it's, you know, a, a free agent, or excuse me, a, a wide receiver like, I don't know, Kadarius Tony out of Florida, who's extremely exciting and would be, uh, I think somebody, uh, Trevor Sycamore described him as somebody that would be objectively hilarious in Sean Payton's offense because of how Sean Payton would be able to use him and utilize him. 
And while I think that that's fun, the Saints aren't going to go into the first round looking for fun, right? They're going to go into the first round looking for impact. They're going to go into the first round looking for their guy. And that could be an offensive lineman that jumps off the board late that, or late in the first round. That could be one of these cornerbacks that's going to probably sneak into the first round, or Greg Newsom out of uh, Northwestern and Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Like these players that are going to test themselves into the first round with these pro days and these official pro days in place of the combine that are going to interview their way into the first round like there's all of these opportunities for all of that to happen and so i i would be i would be uh, let me not say shocked to to see the saints go offensive position player but i would certainly expect to see them go defense before anything else and then potentially offensive line and then skill position player layers in after that because this is a very good defensive draft Mm -hmm. this is a very loaded defensive draft at certain positions Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it's a very and the, the it's a very deep, right? A little bit different than loaded, but very deep wide receiver draft. So you can wait again. You have NFL ready receivers from rounds one through seven these days and all. And so you can wait until one of the various day two picks to address one of those skill positions if you want to do that. You're not looking for a number one receiver. Right. You know, that doesn't make it a, an area of concern. You're not trying to get a guy to jumpstart your offense because you literally have a running back also who is as functional in your passing game as anybody else who could be a thousand yard receiver this year in Alvin Kamara. So, you know, the only thing to, to me that kept them back last year was Taysom Hill. You know, he yeah. should have been <laughs> at a thousand yards, it, uh, but yeah, when you've got those kinds of options, you're not, you're not desperate. Um, right. Lastly, I want to talk about the extensions that are sitting on the table that we have to, that the saints have yet to, to figure out for Ryan Ramchick and, um, um, Rashawn Lattimore, um, what do you see uh, as the timetable? Um, and and are, do you think these deals get done before the start of the new year? Or is this something that goes a little bit later? I think that uh, I think they have to get done before. I mean, let me not say that they have to. Uh, let me say it this way. I, I think that the Saints benefit most if these deals get done before March 17th. So within a week which is a tough ask. Now, of course, it's not like they're just going to start working on these contracts today and that they right. only right they've been working on it all off season, I'm sure. And it's been it's already been publicly noted that the Saints are interested, of course, and invested in bringing both of these players back and extending them. It would be weird if they weren't. And so I think that, you know, the last report that I saw was earlier this week, if I remember correctly, it was Ian Rappaport talking on NFL Network that they want to retain one or both of these players. Obviously, if yeah. you have to, you know, it's like, yeah, duh. But if you if you end up only being able to retain one Ryan Ramchick is probably the priority, but it might not come down to who your priority is. It might simply come down to asking price and contract structure and all of these other things, right? That might dictate all of it. So we'll have to see how it all plays out, but I think you'll see some type of resolution for both of these players before the new league year begins because it's going to be hard for them to get out from under the salary cap with both of those players operating right now at their uh, fifth year option level. Ryan Ramchick at $11 million and then Marshall Lattimore just over 10. Um, what do you expect to see over the next week um, uh, before? Because when we meet next week, it will be right. the 17th. Yep. And uh, so what do you expect? Um, and, and are there any things that, that may surprise fans um, during that time? 
Yeah, I, I would say keep an eye out on the, the cut candidates that we talked about, the Emmanuel Sanders, Latavius Murray types. We saw Quan Alexander get cut today. That was a huge savings for the Saints. Um, don't expect to see any type of reunion with any of these players that are getting cut within this week, right? They'll probably hit the market first and, and all these other things. Uh, you know, that would be a surprise, though, that could happen. You could see the Saints end up reuniting with someone almost immediately once they've cut and moved on from them. Uh, the restructures to Michael Thomas and Teron Armstead still awaiting to see if they're going to do those. Those are huge cap saving measures they have available to them combined, probably around. 13 to $16 million, somewhere around there between the two that you can get. If you do full max restructures, you might not need to do that. Uh, and then the extensions to Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore, and Ryan Ramchek. Before we speak, there will have been the legal tampering period to where teams yep. are able, teams and players are able to agree to contracts on principle, right? Before they can actually put pen to paper on Wednesday. Don't be surprised if the Saints are not any of those teams uh, because the Saints don't usually make those big first day signings they tend to wait a couple of days and then get into it and pick up some of the what you would call a mid-level free agent probably but that have continued to be very valuable for new orleans the players that are like malcolm jenkins who they returned malcolm brown who they who they signed a couple of years ago those types of signings i think you would see start to happen a couple of days after free agency begins so if you don't hear them doing anything in terms of agreeing on principle with contracts, maybe the only exception being Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston is going to be a really interesting one to watch. Can they get him done before the 15th? Can they get a deal done with him before the 15th, before he starts to hear from other teams? Um, and then I don't expect to see them bring Trey Hendrickson back at this point. Uh, I think they'll make him an offer. They'll make him an offer, but I think he's going to get more money elsewhere. So those are some of the things I'm keeping my eye out on. Perhaps the most jarring one being the resolution between the Saints and those uh, fifth-year options, as well as the resolution between the Saints and uh, a potential contract for Jameis Winston. Tell folks again um, how they can keep following you and um, uh, where you're going to be because you're just adding more and more stuff again. Every time I see you, it's like <laughs> you've added another thing to the repertoire. Yeah, man. I just, you know, just trying to stay, trying to stay expansive, trying to reach as many folks as possible and everything, because uh, I love very much what I do and I love to share it. So if you want to see what's going on, you can head over to uh, Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Throw me a follow there. You can also uh, keep up to date with everything that's going on there as well. Uh, five days a week, Locked on Saints. Uh, there's the podcast covering the Saints with the Locked on Podcast Network every day. That's about 30 minutes or so each day. It usually comes out the night before. So you can find those wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Dylan Sanders and I doing a show every day over at Full Press Coverage as well, our radio show, which is really just us having fun more than anything else, just us cutting up. Uh, we have Hard in the Paint on Wednesdays and uh, much more in terms of Canal Street Chronicles and all the writing going on over there. I started doing a newsletter on Saturdays yep. as well, just that. to kind of yeah, just to kind of consolidate everything and put it all in one place. So keep an eye out for those. I, I don't feel like it's pretentious. I don't want it to come off as pretentious, but I wanted to find a way to catalog my work. And I thought that would be a good way no, to do I it. No, I looked at it and I'm like, <laughs> I'm already looking into it because I'm, we do so much. And so there much are things stuff, that yeah. folks, and you know how Twitter feeds go and things like that. And social right. media, people can miss things that that are out there. And it's I think it's great to have it in one place for them to say, oh, I missed that. Let me go back and check that out. Right, right. That's the hope, man. Just to make sure that people are able to see it and everything and, and that I'm not missing anybody. You know, I care very much about what I do. I love I love doing this, not just because it puts me in front of a microphone or anything like that, mm -hmm. but because like 
I get to provide information for people. And that's the, one of the most important things for me. It, I, I love making sure that people have the information that they need and that fans and folks find a way to to be more knowledgeable about the game that they love. And, and I love being able to contribute to that. So that that's the place to find it, though, uh, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. And, and this is a service. That's what we are mm-hmm. here to service fans. We're here to service fans of the Saints and fans of the NFL. And, and yeah. so I, that's why we do this. That's why we work so hard at it. And we and, and, and honestly, just to everybody who listens, we thank you so much for the support and the fact that you come back week after week and listen to, to what we have to say. And, um, and we appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so for my man, Ross Jackson. I am David Grubb. You know how to follow me at DM Grubb, Instagram, Twitter, and HITP with DG.com. More stuff to come, more things happening this year. So, you know, this is just the beginning. We're in March and it ain't even got started yet. The ball ain't even rolling. So um, until the next time, next week, we'll probably have a lot more to talk about. This has been the Dome Patrol. Y'all be good out there.